If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Let's talk about Lent. Okay. It's, it's Lenten season right now. In fact, today is the first Friday of Lent. It is. Which would make, if I understand this correctly, which was, I'm pointing over my shoulder because that's where I see Wednesday. <laughs> and Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, right? I remember right. walking into here a year ago and you had this stuff on your forehead and then some of the other people did. And I thought, well, what in the world is that? So anyway, that's why we're talking about Lent. Right. Because in fact, in the, in the background here at the parish, they're setting up for the fish fry tonight because Catholics have <laughs> fish fries. Well, and, and in fact, we were going to go for tacos today. But we ended up at McDonald's because we, you couldn't, there's no, there's no, there's not a good fish taco in Holland as far as you there know. There's just not a good fish taco here. Like I grew up in Southern California on the beach right. and there were good fish tacos, but I just, if we're going to go for tacos today, I just haven't found any fish tacos that I feel right. really comfortable with here. Right. So we had to go to McDonald's so I could get a filet of fish. I would, by definition, not be comfortable with a fish taco. I'm just saying, if I can get something else on it, that's, that'd be my preference. So do you remember, I have to tell this story because back when you and I were both at the Hipster Groovy Church, the little storefront church, people were, Lent came up and we were giving up things for Lent and everybody wanted to know, or not everybody, but I, you know, I felt uh, pressed to give up something for Lent. And so uh, not because I was um, particularly altruistic about it, but because for peer pressure's sake anyway, I decided to give up Diet Coke, of which I drink Way too much. We were, we were planning an intervention with you. Like right. one of our friend, right. friends, right. we were going to get together. Right. Like if I die, they won't need to embalm me. In fact, if they want to cremate me, they won't even be able to get a fire going. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I gave up Diet Coke for Lent. And a couple of weeks later, I can't even say this without laughing. A couple of weeks later, I got caught drinking a Diet Pepsi, which... So my story was, I remember it was I you. I remember one, this. This was and, hilarious. And... My story was that I was not breaking my Lenten promise or whatever, my commitment. I was not drinking Diet Coke. And in fact, that I didn't even like Diet Pepsi. And therefore, this was a double sacrifice for me that I had to drink the Diet, the, uh, the diet Pepsi. And I remember that nobody bought my story. No, nobody bought it. So I'm thinking, um, I want to know where Lent came from. And how old is it and how did it get started? And I also want to know if there's any difference between Catholic Lent and Protestant Lent. I assume there is. But let me first give you my Protestant view of this or, or what it is that I have always thought. Now, I've changed some of this and there's, I've learned. I can, I've, uh, I've learned to grow uh, into the ways of man here. And I, uh, but, uh, so let me play a little devil's advocate and give you, um, some of the things I used to think and the things that I hear from my Protestant friends continuously. Okay. This has been, you know, this is my lifelong view. Okay. And I realize that I am, my Protestant thing is such a grace only thing 
okay? That Lent smells like works to me, okay? I avoided it all my life because I didn't even want to smell like Catholicism, right? Okay? Besides, it looked hard. And hey, grace, you know, grace. I've, uh, um, so here, uh, let me try to sum this up. The Catholics take it too far, okay? We're saved by grace alone, alone, and no need to jump through all those hoops, okay? It's borderline works. Feels like, smells like earning your salvation. Um, it's a legalistic ritual. Catholics do this to feel good about themselves, and then almost none of them do it for the right reasons. They just do it to fulfill their obligation. It's just always seemed to me like a sort of a weird sort of pagan almost thing, you know? That was the knock on it anyway. Like an artificial reason to indulge before and after. Okay, Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday and and uh, although the 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 pochkeys everybody pochkeys everybody was selling yeah uh, looked pretty good yummy actually. donuts. Um, yeah, I didn't know if I was going to get in trouble for eating one of those, but then not giving up anything for Lent. I don't know. I can't I can't give up anything for Lent this year that I've already eaten. Because I'm past the deadline. Yeah, well, so, yeah, you know, you've already I'm going to have to, uh, yeah. Fish. There we go. But you hate fish. <laughs> but I hate fish. Well, start small, right? Uh, anyway, sort of like sort of like earning your the right to get drunk or whatever. That's how it, that's how it looked to me. Because, you know, later you're going to be really, really good and offset it. And I know this, I know that's wrong. Okay, I know that much. But that's what, it was easy to get that feeling like the catholics i don't know they don't really believe that stuff right. they're just something that they do and okay. and here's the thing i'll have to confess i know a lot of protestants are exactly the same way you know so that's my knock on my protestant knock on catholics doing lent what uh what say ye okay there's a lot there but before i dive into it i want to just make a general comment I think there's a tendency whenever we kind of compare and contrast religions or political parties or one group or the other group is, I think it's sort of a natural human thing to take the best examples from our side (laughs) and compare them to the worst examples from the other side. And I I think, you know, in fairness, we do that too. I mean, I think we've done that on the podcast here. We can... Look at uh, Catholic saints, Saint So and So, who's the best example of Catholicism, and contrast them with the, you know, the most ridiculous examples we can find from Protestantism. And right. Protestants will do the same thing. They'll look at the most ridiculous examples of Catholics abusing their tradition and compare them to the most noble and pious Protestants. So that's always a little bit unfair because you can always say, hey. I knew this guy who was a Catholic and he did this and this and right. this. Or, you know, I saw the Mardi Gras parade down in New Orleans or the Carnival in Rio. And look at this. This right. is what Catholicism is. And, you know, that's no more fair again than than to flip the script and, and talk about the best and the worst. So uh, let's just set that aside a little bit and talk about what actually the church teaches okay. and what the tradition is and so forth. So let's... Let's go back up to your first question, which is, what is it and where did it come from? So first of all, let's start with the name, Lent, okay? Somebody say, well, the word Lent isn't in the Bible. Absol- 
absolutely correct. The word Lent isn't in the Bible because it's a Germanic word. Actually, it's a uh, old English Germanic word from right. the early Middle Ages or whatever. And it was the old English word for spring. Okay. So basically because Lent occurs in spring within England or English speaking countries, this liturgical season right. began to be called Lent. Now, before one of my Protestant friends says, ah, see, the church just adopted some Germanic pagan festival. Right. You go, no, uh, it predated that. And it's not called Lent in Latin. That's not what the church called it. In Latin, it's quadragesima, okay? Which mean, simply means 40 days. Okay. And in right. fact, in the East, the old, uh, you know, because of course, uh, the Eastern half of the Mediterranean, the Eastern Roman world, right? Spoke Greek coming out of right. the New Testament period. And, and it, it's called or was called uh, Tessacost. So, you know, you have Pentecost, which is 50 days. Right. Tessacost is 40 days. Okay. So actually the church calls it for, essentially 40 days, either 40 days in Latin or in Greek, but in English speaking countries, because those 40 days happen to coincide with spring generally, they began to just sort of call it, you know, right. spring. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So that's what it is. It's a 40-day period that runs from Ash Wednesday through Maundy Thursday. So during Holy Week, the week of Easter, mm -hmm. you have Good Friday when Jesus, you know, went on the cross, right? right? And you have, of course, Sunday when he rose. But Maundy Thursday is the night before the crucifixion when they celebrated the Last Supper in the upper room. Okay. Yep. Okay. So it runs from Ash Wednesday to Maundy Thursday. Right. Okay. Actually, the right way to think of it is it runs from Maundy Thursday back 40 days. Okay. And the yep. reason that there's Ash Wednesday is because if you count essentially more or less 40 days back, you get Ash Wednesday. Right. So, okay. So that's a little bit just what it is. The right. 40 days running up to essentially the night that Jesus, but the night before he was crucified. Okay. With me? Yep. Now, when did this get instituted? Okay. So again, you're right. The Bible does not say Lent. Right. But this is this period where we prepare ourselves for basically Christ's arrest and trial right. and crucifixion. Right. Now, in terms of when it started, it did not start in the generation of the apostles to the best of our knowledge. Okay. Okay. So nobody's claiming that it did. And of course, for a lot of my Protestant friends would say, well, then right away, it's an extra biblical thing. But think about how many other things developed in the church, even on the Protestant side, right. everything from hymnals to pews to church buildings to right. uh, mission trips to a thousand other things, right? right? But during the generation of the apostles, what was very biblical is fasting, periodic fasting. Right. So Paul okay. talks, I mean, Jesus fasted, the apostles fasted. Paul actually talks about fasting in his letters and, and was a practitioner of it. So this principle of fasting, Old Testament principle, New Testament principle, was something. You fast to prepare for something or you fast, and I'll get into what the substance of that fasting is. In the early church, there were periods of fasting. 
maybe sometimes a day, maybe sometimes a number of hours or a few days, generally before important events. Mm -hmm. And what we do know is that in the early church, and when I say the early church, when we start having records, so the church fathers are writing to each other and this and that, you know, within the 50 to 100 years or so after Jesus, they talk about the Easter fast. Okay. Okay. Fasting before Easter, uh, Hmm. a way that, that Christians would sort of spiritually prepare themselves to celebrate and commemorate the crucifixion and the resurrection. And going back to about 180 or 190 AD, uh, a church father named Irenaeus said, hey, there's some questions about the Easter fast. Is the Easter fast a day? Is it the Easter fast a couple of days? Is the Easter fast a week? Is the Easter fast longer? And Christians were practicing this time of sort of fasting and preparation. Yep before essentially Good Friday and Easter. Sure. And they were, it was of varying lengths. And apparently what happened in church history was people experimented in different parts and places with everything. Everybody agreed that fasting to sort of prepare yourself in some way, shape or form to spiritually prepare yourself for Good Friday and Easter right. was a good idea. But somewhere around the middle 300s to late 300s, this notion of 40 days began to be sort of more universally practiced. Why 40 days? Can I guess? Go ahead. Because Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 Jesus days. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. And there's, in fact, there's all kinds of 40s, right, in the Bible, right? 40 years, 40 right. days, right? That's sort of a biblical number. Obviously, we can think of Jesus in the wilderness. We can think of the Israelites in the wilderness. We can think of Noah 40 days before, oh, sure. Sure. on and on and on. And so there's sort of a biblical principle of this kinds of, uh, of 40 days. And particularly, like you say, Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. So right. what happened was sometime in the first few centuries, people who were practicing kind of a time of, of fasting, self-imposed fasting, just a way of, of praying and preparing themselves for Easter, that might have lasted a day in some places, a couple of days, maybe a week or whatever. But people began to settle on this idea of having a sort of time of fasting and preparation for 40 days before the, mm-hmm. celebrating the crucifixion and the resurrection. And that kind of floated around amongst the church and the bishops and people right. began to settle on that as an appropriate way to prepare oneself. So before they were calling it something, they were just doing it. Well, there was an Easter fast. And okay. of course it was Paschal, the Paschal fast. And it might, again, might've been a day. It might've been longer. Okay. But that principle of basically settling on this 40 day period sometime seems to have been normalized in the 300s or 400s okay. or so in most places in the church. And then the church began to sort of recognize that and normalize that as being an appropriate Okay. thing to do, just in the same way that the church recognized and normalized celebrations like Palm Sunday, right? Or Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or Christmas, or whatever. Right. The church began to normalize what we might call the liturgical calendar, the, yep. the annual spiritual yep. calendar. And in the liturgical calendar, he began to say, well, there's Advent, right? So those are the essentially the four Sundays that run up to Christmas, Right? Right. And you know, I know a lot of my Protestant friends practice Advent and had Advent wreaths. And sure. someone could say, well, Advent isn't in the Bible. No, but people in the right. 
early centuries of the church began to realize that it was appropriate to have a time of spiritual preparation right. to celebrate the, the nativity, right? right? And in the same way as they neared Easter, they began to say, we need a period of 40 days to sort of prepare ourselves for Easter mm-hmm. or you know Easter week or whatnot. So that's where its roots were. And then the church and essentially normalized it. So yep. put it on the liturgical calendar, began to build feast days around it, began to you know, issue guidelines for it, okay? Yep. So as I think about Jesus approaching Jerusalem, approaching Holy Week, approaching the crucifixion, how he turned his face towards Jerusalem and walked towards the cross to give himself up for me because I want to be like him and follow in his way. I tried to do some things in my life that sort of sets this time aside and in a sense gives some things up or put myself into a period mm-hmm. of spiritual. So this is your thing about the Diet Coke or people are going to give up chocolate. And we'll get in a little bit more into what are appropriate right. you know, items to, to do or that. But the, the church says it's a good spiritual practice. The other thing it asks us to do is what's called abstinence on Friday. Now, this is, goes to the fish fry thing. The right. church does ask us to, and it's not a requirement of salvation, right? It's not a works for salvation. The same way that if I walked in a Protestant church, you would ask me, you might ask me to do morning devotions, to do my right. morning prayers. You might ask me to come to church and sing the songs. You might ask me to go on a mission trip or might right. ask me to give financially to, right. to, to the church or to other church causes. Right. The church asks me to abstain on Fridays from meat. Okay. Okay. And also to fast, especially on Fridays. So it asks me essentially to skip a meal or two, you know, on Fridays. Why Friday? Well, because what are we leading up to? Good Friday. Right. Christ died on Good Friday. This is the time that we are leading up to our preparation, Mm -hmm. running up to Good Friday. So on the Fridays during these 40 days, I, I prepare myself on Fridays, kind of fasting a little bit, having one meal and giving up uh, meat or fowl or ham or whatever, right. right? And again, why that? Well, there were times of fasting and abstinence in the Old Testament. Famously, Daniel and his three friends, when they went to Babylon, gave up meat and these kinds of things. So the church says, this is something that's small. No one's going to kill anybody to give up meat for a day and to skip a meal. But it does make me think during these Fridays of Lent and reflect a little bit and it maybe makes me take a little bit of a pause. Like when you say, hey, let's go to tacos today. And I go, you know what? I'm going to remember that during these Fridays, I'm going right. to interrupt my normal patterns. And instead of doing that, I'm going to give up a little bit of something. I'm going to skip a meal. I'm going to have a filet of fish sandwich or right. the fish fry and just do that as a way to commemorate this. And it's an act of uh, spiritual devotion. Right. Well, it worked out good for me because McDonald's has the best Diet Coke. I'm just saying. <laughs> McDonald's just French fries are better. So. Right. So there we go. So uh, so that's what Lent is, is it's this period of preparation, this period of fasting and to some degree abstinence to commemorate these 40 days. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as what we give up, right? I want to talk a little bit about your Diet Coke thing or whatever. 
so to your friends who say, well, you know, you know, as you said, you said, you know, the Catholics are trying to do work salvation and earn their way and jump through hoops and blah, 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 blah. And you also asked about, you know, the difference kind of between Protestant Lent and right. Catholic Lent. So let me tackle those two things. First of all, when it comes to the giving up of things and why are Catholics having to give things up? Isn't this work salvation? Well, no, of course it's not. I mean, any more than if I was in a Protestant church and you said, you should go on the mission trip or you should go help Habitat for Humanity build houses this Saturday, right. or we're gonna, you should volunteer for the this or that. Give I mean, up your vacation to go on and do these things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an act of spiritual devotion. It's an act of sanctification. It's a way that I can align myself better with God and his priorities and make them a little more real in my life. But I, I do think there's a notion of fasting that's misunderstood. Fasting is all through the Old Testament. Jesus right. fasted, the apostles fasted. But here's the thing that I think is often misunderstood about fasting, at least within the Catholic church. I, I think people can say, oh, look, you know, you're taking away things from people or you're, they're, people are flagellating themselves or doing self-punishment right. or whatever because they think they're going to earn something before God. I think that's a complete misunderstanding. I think what we do in fasting is we give up a lesser good in exchange for a higher good. So if you think about good things, they range from good, better, best, right? Some right. kind of a hierarchy of goodness, right? Right. So you and I going and getting tacos today is good. It's very good, right? right? But maybe me taking a break from eating tacos for today I give up a good for a higher good, which is just reminding myself that Christ loves me and died for me. And as yeah. I approach the season of Holy Week and Easter, that taking a pause to do that and to reflect a little bit on Christ and his love for me and my desire to emulate him, that that reflection and that little bit of discipline on my part is a higher good than scarfing the tacos. Right. It's not that the tacos are bad, but that maybe sometimes taking a break from tacos to pray right. is a little better. better. Take something like priestly celibacy, which is completely misunderstood, and I think in a lot of ways. So you'll have Protestants say, well, why a priest be celibate and blah, 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 and you know, isn't right. marriage a good? It is a good. But again, what is happening there is you are giving up a good for a higher good in the case of the priest. Now, not everybody is called to the celibate life, right? but to those who are called to give their life completely and their career and their right. and the material things of their life more completely to God by taking the time and energy and devotion that one would give to a spouse and giving it to Christ and his church is a higher good. So it isn't so much that the sort of fasting element or sacrifice element isn't so much like a masochism right. or a punishment as a, a true sacrifice where I take something that is good and I give it up in my life for something better. Right. And again, not everybody is called to be celibate. Not only everybody is called to give up Diet Coke or Miss Tacos, well, if everybody was called to be celibate in one generation, we wouldn't have any Catholics. Obviously, right? But you can, we can all understand this. I mean, 
in the same way, getting up in the morning and, you know, going out for uh, pancakes with Ed might right. be good, but maybe getting up and going to the gym might be better. Right. So, right. I think we can all understand that notion and that sometimes we voluntarily give up that lesser good for a higher good. And that's what we're really doing during Lent. It isn't so much that Catholics are being punished or that Catholics are jumping through hoops or Catholics or anything else. What we're doing is saying during these 40 days, we're spiritually preparing ourselves and undertaking some act of devotion and discipline Mm -hmm. to, in a sense, get ourselves more spiritually fit by giving up some small things, maybe for better things. Mm -hmm. And if we do that temporarily, maybe we come into Good Friday and Easter a little bit better prepared to appreciate it and receive it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Now, Protestant Lent versus Catholic Lent. Well, I guess that depends on the Protestants and how they're practicing it. But I can think of one obvious difference between the two. And that is the church in the Catholic church. The church asks us to do this. And because we believe that the church has spiritual authority. Right. And during my time when I was a Protestant and Protestants would kind of sort of practice a little bit of Lent. Right. The the church didn't really ask us to do it because the church in a sense didn't have the authority to do it because it didn't have a different idea of the church. It became sort of a voluntary practice that some Protestants did, but it didn't come with the notion that the church has asked us as faithful members to do this. Well, I, yeah, I had a case in point here. The last couple of weeks, I, um, I stepped back into the, my old world and I was uh, leading worship at a big church here nearby, subbing for a friend who went on vacation. And they were Lent's coming up, and in the staff meeting I was required to go to, which reminded me why I didn't want to do this anymore. But anyway, um, they were they were they had this Lent handout, and they were saying, you know, we're going to ask people to do this. But that was it was pretty low key. It was just okay. Here's a handout. If you want to do this during Lent, you can. But otherwise, you know, you know. Yeah, I think we even toyed with this a little bit in the church that you and I worked in where there were some of these kinds of spiritual practices, and we would say these are sort of historic Christian practices that we kind of toyed with a little bit without getting too into them. So I will never forget there was a a time when somebody in the church had decided, well, um, we could have these kinds of stations of the cross, which is something that we do during Lent. So during Lent on Fridays, like tonight here at the parish, there will be stations of the cross. So maybe we can talk about that some other time, but in the in every Catholic church, there are these plaques or little statues. Usually they're like plaques on the wall that commemorate the various steps that Jesus took from his uh, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, his trial, his flogging, right. his carrying of the cross, his death right. on the cross. So there are these stations that commemorate all those various steps. And on Fridays during Lent, Catholics are asked or encouraged to go to the church and you walk from station to station and say a prayer at each one Mm -hmm. during the time reflecting, obviously, on Jesus's path to the cross. 
And so I remember one time in the Protestant church that you and I were in, it's like, well, we should like set up some little thing at the church. And I think what we did is we had this little like self tour deal. I remember that. Yeah. And you could kind of go to the church on your own. And there were these little. Yeah. Uh, they had to lay down on the floor and you walk through these. Yeah. yeah. Walking in, there was like, you know, a CD player with some right. music playing and you would kind of, and I guess, you know, we were kind of like toying with some of this. But I think the difference in the Catholic Church is that these things are uh, organized, they are endorsed by the church, they are to some degree required. In other words, they're not required, I almost get tired of saying this, they're not required for our salvation. But there's a difference, and I kind of get tired of saying this on the podcast, they're not required for our salvation, but they are to some degree part of, I don't say required for our edification and our sanctification. So there's spiritual disciplines we're asked to engage in. One of them is during Lent to make some voluntary fast, to abstain, to make some kind of fasting and abstaining on Fridays, to come to church to the best of our ability on Fridays and pray the stations of the cross and reflect on Jesus' journey from Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. These are things that we do. And so the Protestant church, I think some of them, try to do a few of these things, but it's entirely voluntary and subjective rather than organized and recommended. And to some degree, I'm using scare quotes here, required or asked of the faithful or strongly encouraged. I remember when I was in Protestant, various Protestant churches who would do something during Lent. And I always remember thinking, this is really cool. And, and this feels like something I should be doing. Like, this would be good. This is a good thing to do. And right along with it was, yeah, but it's Catholic. It's a Catholic. And, and that, was, that was so, I just remember feeling it all the time, you know? Yeah, it's crazy because, look, let's be honest. The Protestants do this as well. I did. We, you know, you would get up in the morning if you were a good Protestant, you get up in the morning, you do your morning devotions, right. go to the church, you take a mission trip, or you go distribute food to the poor, or how many times are we supposed to go on a retreat day, have quiet time on a right. retreat day, right? So, so you know, those things were all recommended for our spiritual growth. But right. in the Catholic Church, this is part of a formal system. Once again, I'll say it once again. Right not required to be saved, but part of the the system of faithfulness that we engage in to what? To uh, grow. Well, if you belong to a church, why would you, if you don't want to do any of the things that they recommend that you do, then my question is, what are you doing there and how serious are you? Are you just trying to see what you can get away with? What kind of attitude is that? You know? Right. I mean, you know, for example, one of the most noticeable things in a Catholic mass for, uh, when someone comes to it is that we kneel at certain points, at a couple of points during the mass, there's kneelers and you kneel. Oh, why do we have to kneel? Are you saying that we have to kneel in order to be right. saved? And go, no, but the church asks you to kneel because when we're praying, it's right. appropriate to kneel before the Lord. So the church asks me to do it. Now, what if I have bad knees? Well, then you don't have to do it if you have bad knees. Right. But if you don't have bad knees... The church is asking you and saying to you, it is entirely appropriate and what you should do and in a sense you're, I say required to do is to kneel when we pray. And it's, 
Uh, so right there are these kinds of spiritual practices. And one other thing too is let's go back to the Fat Tuesday whole thing. Okay. So this is the thing where you see people with the punch keys and all this. Right. And this is sort of a cultural thing that arose in a lot of Catholic countries that people knowing that we were about to embark on the and right. 40 days and when people would be asked to give some things up, people being people a lot of times said, well, I'm going to at least, you know, right. go out in style, right? So if I decided to give up dessert and ice cream or whatever on for Lent, then I'm going to gorge myself and eat right. a gallon of ice cream the day before I have to give right. it up. Or, you know, if I decided I'm going to give up uh, drinking wine or something, well, I'm going to drink a gallon of it on Tuesday. And right. you can just see how in sure. cultural context, this would just evolve into a, you know, a fiasco. And that's why you can point to these kinds of Fat Tuesday things. But I think there is kind of a, kind of a fun kind of cultural aspect of that, that we we build up to this. Look, look at what we do with uh, Black Friday for the Christmas sure. season, right? It's like Thanksgiving and the next day it's Black Friday and everyone's going to go to this Walmart right. and beat each other to death in a, you know, in a, in right. a stampede or whatever and buy a bunch of stuff on sale. And it sort of gets us into the Christmas spirit. Right. And sort of in the same way, we know we're going into Lent and there's a sort of celebratory nature. Obviously, right. we don't want to get drunk and do crazy things, but there's sort of a celebratory, oh my gosh, you know, we're about to go into Lent and, you know, maybe, you know, people celebrate a little bit too much. But it's more of a cultural thing than a theological or spiritual issue. For my Protestant friends who are listening, if you're struggling with this or wondering about it, um, this is a thing, ask yourself... If your if your problem with Catholics is that they make you do things, that's sort of to think about the word protest and Protestant. That seems to be baked into the Protestant cake. Is uh, nobody can make me do anything? Don't I'm not going to do that. And I'm, nobody, there's no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to submit to the authority. And that's how they see it anyway. And that's. Um, I, I now that I examine myself and look back over my life, whenever I have run into these things that were first Catholic uh, or early church or church things, um, I, I realized that I was drawn to the weightiness of them, and I felt the uh, the urge to rebel uh, rising up in me. You know, it's, yeah, it's self examination. I, I think as we've talked as we've talked on this podcast about a lot of topics, that's a recurrent theme. That there's a lot of things that when I explain them to you or I explain them to other Protestants or when they were explained to me for the first time, I go, well, that seems entirely reasonable. That's not unreasonable. But I bristled at the idea that there was an authority, right. that the church had any authority to, to ask me or require me to do things that were entirely reasonable. And I think that that is a real part of the Protestant DNA is that if I was talking to a, a Protestant friend the other day, and we were kind of talking about Lent. They're like, yeah, yeah, spiritual disciplines and, you know, fasting and prayer. Right. That's all, you know, good and good. But uh, the church can't make me do it. Right. And and so the fact that the church is telling me I should um, just rubs my fur the wrong right. way. And right. I think that is, to your point, Ed, I think that is something that people should examine because this isn't the episode for it, but it goes back to whether we believe that the church has spiritual authority mm -hmm. or has the authority to recommend things to us. And if we go back to the apostles where Paul read the letters of Paul, my Protestant friends, right? And right. Paul instructs the churches, I ask you to do this and I ask you that and I tell right. you to do this. And so what we believe is that, that apostolic authority 
right. of the apostles has been preserved in the church and that the church in the spirit of the apostles and with the authority of the apostles asks us to do certain things for not only to, you know, be saved and not that the things right. we talk about today are about salvation, but also asks us to do them as a matter of spiritual discipline and spiritual growth. Sure. This is good stuff. I love this discussion. We would, yeah. I would have had this discussion with you uh, at McDonald's earlier if we didn't we'd hold off because we knew we were going to talk about yeah, this. I week. know. And then I got a filet of fish and we have fish Friday night. So, but, uh, you know, have a look at that for, look forward to one of these days we'll get you to the fish fry. Wait, I am. I, my wife and I make pizza every Friday night, but we're having turkey pepperoni. Does that, am I? No, am you, I can't, a- you can't have fowl. You can't have turkey oh, or man. chicken. Um, but you could, you could just have a cheese pizza. Being a Catholic is hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com and email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.